Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible, if you have one. Uh, Today is Valentine's Day. Some people celebrate it, some people don't. Of course, it's a man-made holiday. You don't have to celebrate anything like that, but a lot of times people are thinking about, on a day like this, they're thinking about their relationships. And uh, usually it was just kind of the the boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife relationship. Now it's broadening out. I guess girls give galentines gifts, whatever. <laughs> Guys don't give guyentines, I don't think. But so, uh, but anyways, you know, you think about relationships today. My wife is so cute and she's so good to our kids. I don't know. It's probably been ten years. She has this tradition where she gives them. She buys them like. <clears throat> My kids on Valentine's Day. There's no, there, I, this, this is not even, tradition doesn't even say moms need to do this. So she's going above her tradition duty here. And she's buying all of our kids like a favorite drink. And, and she gets, you know, thinks about eat, what each one likes for a favorite drink and buys it and night, writes a little personal encouraging note, a complimentary note to each of our kids on there and, and ties a little ribbon and, and puts it around the, 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 the drink and everything, and gives it to each of the kids. And so uh, she was even, that's why she's not here today. I miss her. Uh, she was sick uh, Friday night, all day yesterday, part of today. But this morning she was writing the little notes to give the Valentines to our kids. And I think even Will's going to get one here, our son-in-law and Estrella. I don't know if she's going to continue this to the grandkids, but it'll be quite a bit of work if she does. But, you know, my wife, uh, she, she thinks of uh, her uh, her relationships with uh, her husband and her kids, and, um, and so that's good. Today, I want to just speak about something. This is very important. I know I've spoke, I know I speak a message about this, and probably from this text, probably once a year, and some of the things I'm going to tell you, you've heard me say, and maybe even the illustrations. I think it's so important what we're going to talk about today. I'm calling this, this is what pre-qualifies your relationship. What we're going to talk about today is what pre-qualifies your relationship. Some of you get pre-qualified for a mortgage. Here's what pre-qualifies you for just about every relationship you enter into. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 18 to 21. Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21. All right, here we go. Ephesians 5, he's going to speak about relationships in this chapter and all the way into chapter 6, at least half of chapter 6. And if that, train, that train's coming, so I'm going to read a little louder. Here we go. It says, Ephesians 5, 18, to us Christians, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The main uh, concept, the main command here for us today, as it says there in verse 18, is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command to us today. It's a concept and a command seen in other parts of the New Testament. Some, not, some corn, not some odd thing I found in the corner of the Scripture and I'm trying to make a bunch of hay out of it. It's a theme in the New Testament in particular, to be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that today. I, as I think about this passage, this Word of God we just read, it reminds me of something that I've been fascinated with. I'm, I'm kind of weird. I, 
I get fascinated with uh, unusual, I get fascinated by incredible accomplishments that men do. And I like to study them and, re, you know, uh, analyze them. Like, I'm amazed that we went to the moon over 50 years ago. I'm fascinated with that, and I try to read on that when I can. And it only happened 60 years after the Wright brothers. It's amazing how, what we did. But I'm also fa I'm fascinated by accomplishments of men, but I'm kind of fascinated by disasters, too, sometimes. I got one of these Time magazines. You know, they'll put out a magazine at the end of the year that says something of themes and I bought one one year. It says, amazing disasters, you know. And I'm reading on the one disaster that I'm fascinated by, among many, is the Hindenburg uh, airship uh, being consumed in flames in 1937. Uh, the Hindenburg airship, it'd be kind of like, we'd say a blimp. They called it a Zeppelin um, after the original inventor in the 1800s uh, from Germany. Uh, but it was an airship, huge, huge, huge airship. Um, huge blimp. It was about uh, 245 meters long. That's pretty long. It was a little, just about as long as a Titanic, and it proved to be a kind of Titanic. Big, big old thing up in the air. And the Nazis, the Germans, they were proud. That was their emblem of pride. They built that thing, and it flew around different parts of Europe, and it came over to cross the, across the pond to us. Before we, got, before we engaged in war with, with uh, Hitler, uh, you know, we're kind of, you know, dealing with them, you know, a little reluctantly that the, the, we're eyeing uh, Hitler and what he's doing, kind of suspicious of him. But anyhow, the, the blimp, their blimp, their Zeppelin, their airship, the great and awesome Hindenburg comes over here on our East Coast. And it's going to make a tour and just kind of show off uh, their, their uh, you know, uh, technology, you could say, or their inventiveness as Germans. And they were very inventive back then, especially. Um, and it was doing its little tour here, and, and in May, of, May 6th of 1937, it was going to land in one of an airfield, one particular airfield in New Jersey. And as it's coming down, and by the way, before I tell you about its landing, I've read and I've studied, and to some reasonable extent, the, the cabin and the whole where people were occupied, this was like a, a five-star hotel in a five-star restaurant. I mean, it didn't have a ton of people, but whoever was in there was like, this is luxury in the air. That's what they said it was. And uh, it was, you know, there was a, quite a statement to be able to ride in it. And they had probably, in this case, they had 36 passengers at the time and several, many, maybe as many crew, I'm not sure. But there's, it was well occupied on this day, May 6, 1937, as it's coming into an airfield in New Jersey in the United States, about to land. I think they may have already maybe dropped a few of the ropes to tether it down. And before you know it, there was an explosion. And then it, the explosion created another explosion. And this thing was on fire fast. You could see footage of it. You could hear the radio announcer who's kind of doing a play-by-play -play of it coming in. And then he just panics and say, oh, my goodness, this is the worst thing. And he's just panicking. This man, he's nearly crying as he's giving you a play-by-play -play of this inferno of this blimp that just catches fire, and people were jumping out of it on fire. Uh, there was a mother who threw, out, threw a few of her kids out of this uh, airship to land on the ground, and, and some people survived, but then uh, several people died. I don't know the exact number. But they think it may have exploded because of some kind of static reaction in there and some sparks, and, and it just had a combustible, combustible uh, gas that was in it, volatile. 
Now, when it did explode and it was consumed and, and everything, the Nazis, of course, the Germanies, they think and they said, well, you know, it was sabotaged and somebody did something to it. The Americans did something to embarrass us and whatever. And um, I don't think that happened. But one thing we definitely for sure know about this gigantic airship that was consumed quickly is that the main reason was what it was filled with. It was filled with hydrogen. Hydrogen is volatile, a volatile gas. There's no argument about that that it was filled with hydrogen. And there's no argument that hydrogen's volatile and that it catches fire. And 200,000 cubic meters of hydrogen exploded into an inferno that day. And so they can say whatever they want about it. One thing we know, it was filled with the wrong thing. That was not the thing to use to fill it. And it matters what it was filled with. It matters. Um, here we are in a building. We try to keep oxygen moving in here. Turned on the fan. Not quite ready for an AC. Maybe by the end of the service if it warms up. But we want oxygen. It matters that this place is filled with oxygen, right? Not something else. Carbon dioxide. Not a propane leak. It matters what fills this building, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. Because you're like, I'll be here or I won't be here depending on what's filling this building, Pastor. You know? Um, some of you, you're thinking, I'm wondering what's filling my boys', my teenage boys' room. It's that oxygen. It smells like something else, you know. You know at least, maybe a few of us have boys, obviously, here. Uh, yeah, it matters also. The Bible that, the text that we want to focus on, this is God's Word in front of us today, an epistle to Christians, particularly the New Testament Church of Ephesus, and by extension, us, he tells us, Paul tells us, it matters, what, it matters what we're filled with as it relates to our Christianity and our relationships. He says, he's going to go on. Look at, look at this. Uh, so we read verse 18. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, the first word is, what is it? Wives. All right, he teaches wives something. Verse 25, the first word is husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, the first word is children. Chapter 6, verse 4, the first three words are, and ye fathers. Chapter 6, verse 5, the first word is servants. Chapter 6, verse 9, the first three words are, and ye masters. So he's talking about relationships. Okay, there it is. Oh, then another one says, verse 10, finally, my brethren. That's everybody else. So he's talking about different people you're related to. I, I have a, a wife has a husband, a husband has a wife, and father, he has kids, kids have parents, servants have masters, masters have servants, that is, employers have employees, employees have employers. He's talking about relating, how to relate one with another. And he gives relationship commands. So I'm just letting you see, I'm not cherry-picking something here from the Bible, getting the feel of the context. This is about relationships. But it's all preceded by a central command. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what he says. That's what Paul's teaching. It matters who we are filled with, so says Paul, in our relationship efforts. 
Now, I wanna, here's kind of our plan of action, kind of chart out our hike through our message today. We're going to look at the contrasts about this command first. Then we're going to look at the command itself second. And then we're going to look at characteristics of this command. That's kind of a little <coughs> marking post on our hike through the message today, okay? The contrast. There's a command here today, and there's a contrast here. Look what your Bible says. It begins with a not, with a contrast. Be not. Verse 18. Paul's telling us as Christians, be not, don't be this, don't be filled with this, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Now, he's singling out something that would control Christians then, and it can control Christians now, alcohol. Be not drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by that wine. Don't be filled with that wine. The Bible talks about people that are filled with wine, and it was a disaster. The Bible puts a very uh, sober warning about tasting alcohol at all. Wine is a mocker, a strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise, says in the Proverbs. But here he's talking about people who, the thing that um, influences their life, alcohol. They're filled with it. That's a contrast. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. We, we might not, you, may, you and I might not have the problem being drunk with wine, but you know, some of us are filled with other things. You know, the Bible talks about people who are filled with envy. Envy means you just have an animosity toward another person who's doing or has something that you would like to have. You're envious. We can be filled with envy. The Bible talks about somebody filled with pride. They're very self-satisfied and they're arrogant in their look towards others. The Bible talks about the fact that we could be filled with hate. We could be filled with um, lust, covetousness. We could be filled. We may say, Pastor, that wine stuff, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, but we might be drunk on ourself. The biggest thing is self. When I'm filled with me, all of me, I love me, myself, and I, and it's all about me and my things, my thoughts, my prerogatives, my tastes, what I prefer, what I want, what I insist. If it's all about me, then I'm, I might as well be drunk with wine because I'm, I'm definitely not occupied. I'm occupied, but I'm not filled with God's Spirit. You do have God's Spirit in you if you have accepted Jesus Christ sincerely as your Savior. You have Him in you, but He's not filled you unless you've emptied yourself and allowed him to. So this command is a contrast. It contrasts with being drunk with wine. It contrasts to being filled with envy or pride or hate or self. And you gotta, let's ask ourselves, what, what do I get filled with when I go about my week? Am I filled with something else? Did you know that sometimes you... Okay, so one time we had, maybe a, over a year ago, we had the building. It was on Sunday morning. We had to stop our Sunday school class, I think it was, because we had installed a, a new water heater, and, and I came in that morning, and I was like, man, it's a little bit, I can still smell the gas, and so we kept everybody out of here, because it smelled like some gas was slowly seeping in, and so we kept everybody out of here that morning, didn't have Sunday school, we had a guy come from Southwest Gas, take care of it, there was a little bit of a leak in one of the fittings, and we aired out the building, we came in and have our, we had our 1030 service. Did you know the night before there was, nothing, there was nothing different about that water heater and the fittings. I was in this building that Saturday and that Saturday night in and out 
And um, no big deal. But once I was away from the building for, I don't know, I guess it would have been 14 hours, it slowly became, felt like it was becoming filled with some other thing that was not good. Do you know that slowly in your life, you can slowly get filled with something of a character trait that you don't want? We can slowly become a very proud person. We can slowly become, gradually drip, 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 become filled with envy. Drip, 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 become filled with hate for somebody that maybe we're holding a grudge to. We can gradually, eventually get filled with something we don't want to be filled with and find ourselves like, what kind of toxic thing am I now? The Bible says, don't be filled with this other controlled substance. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, we got to take heed. Again, this is a contrast. This command contrasts with things. We need to take heed what's, what's the sources of things that are slowly filling us. Take heed to what's becoming of your attitude today. Attitudes sometimes don't change on a dime. They slowly can change. Um, what's happening, what's being, what, how am I being slowly influenced by my television choices, my music choices, my thoughts? What's becoming of me? And, and take heed to that because we, we want to be, be empty vessels for the Lord so that in our, in our life we can be filled with the Spirit. So we're going to explain that a little more as we look at number two. This next thought, this next command, this next thing is the command itself. So he says, he tells us what not to be. Okay, great. Don't be, filled, don't be drunk with wine. All right. And those other things that Pastor mentioned. Okay. But what do I be? Be filled with the Spirit. So this is a couple of observations about this plain command. This is, a, this is a very, this is an imperative. A command is an imperative. It means do this. Do this. This is a, tends to be a couple thoughts. This tends to be a put-off command. You know, a lot of times we Christians, we read the Bible and we, we read some commands like, oh, yeah, okay, be filled with the Spirit. and Okay, whatever. And we kind of ignore that. We kind of cherry-pick, well, oh, I like this command right there. See that, sweetheart? Submit to me. And then she goes, you see that, sweetheart? Love your wife like Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus around here, you know. I mean, we want to pick on the one particular commands that we grab, we identify with, you know. And then we parents, you see this Ephesians 6, 1, kids? <laughs> Obey your parents because it's right. And, and honestly, that is the Word of God. But we like to just zero in on our commands, right? This one, this one, this one. Or, you see, that says, thou shalt not steal. We know some of the Ten Commandments. And, but this, this is still a command, too. In fact, it comes as far as the relationship points. It comes first, before it. And sometimes it's put off. Ah, yeah, yeah. In other words, we can be a very pride-filled person that tries to approach as a husband, I need to love my life like Jesus. You're going to have a hard time if you're already filled with something else. Do you see that? By the way, guys, it does say, husband loved your wife as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself for it. Whoa, how can I do that? Well, first of all, you better be empty of yourself. So we tend to... We tend to put off this command, but it's a command. It's another thing about this command. It's a positive command. It's something to be. He says, be this. What do you want to be today? What do you want to do? Here's something I need to be. But this being command also is a passive command. It's interesting. 
the way it's said, you could see it in the English. It's definitely clear in the, in the underlying Greek language. When it says be filled with the Spirit, it means allow this. It means to passively let this happen to you. Just like it's like we almost passively let gas fill this building. And then we're like, whoa, we had to take control, and that's the wrong thing. You, it's a pa- you intentionally, passively let it happen. That's kind of weird to say. But you, you let God, okay, God, have me. You have rain on my mind. You have rain on my emotions. You have rain on my action choices. Fill me with your spirit. It's passive. It means to accept it, to allow it. This command to be filled with the Spirit means to let God have access to mind, body, and emotions. It means to allow God to control you. It means allow God's Holy Spirit who lives in you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, He's not in you. But He lives in you if you're a Christian. It means to allow God's Spirit to submit to His control. If you have tires that are low, your tires are low, you know, and it's almost a flat tire, you drive up next to a an air compressor, a QT or whatever, and um, because you didn't like the fact across the street at Circle K they were going to charge you, that's junky. So you go across the street to QT, I think they're free, and um, you, you plug in it and your tire submits to being filled. It's like, there it is, okay, here's my stem, fill it. And that's like us, it's, God, uh, Fill my mind, fill my emotions, take control of my action choices. I want to be filled with the Spirit. What's the alternative? Me. Me. Filled with me. And all the great character qualities that come along with that. I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course. So we need this command. We need this. This is right to you today. This is to help you and I today. Uh, it's, a, it's a passive command, but it's a, we've mentioned this, it's a pre-qualifying command. Again, look what it, it comes before all, the command before he addresses the wife, before he addresses the husband, the children, the fathers, employees, employers. First is this command right here, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's talking about, first of all, it's almost like this. Here I am, I'm a husband, I have a wife, and maybe I have some difficulty, you know, I don't always understand women, or I don't always know how to meet her needs, and, uh, you know, I just seem to fall short of everything. And and before I engage in trying to be everything Paul teaches me to be here, the first question is, who's in control of me first? Who's in control? Once I get God's Spirit in control of me, all right, I'm ready to handle my wife. Ladies? You're called to, it does say, submit to your husband. That means organize your life around his agenda. That's exactly what it means. Okay? And so, you're like, I don't know how I could do it. All right, first thing is, who's in control of you? The Holy Spirit of God. Let him be in control of you and fill you. Now you're ready to deal with this submission command that's right in the Bible. Now you're ready to deal with it. Control first. It's like this. You know, a vehicle is not ready to go on the road until it can be under certain a person's intelligent control, right? One time, I remember this, my mom, when I was in kindergarten and first grade, I went to a Christian school in Tempe. My parents lived still at Valveston Southern area. Mom or dad, my dad had a Jeep. Mom would drive it sometimes. The Jeep with the top off with the the, the bars and everything. Um, Jeep up in the driveway. We had kind of a steep driveway. 
And um, I would ride sometimes with mom in that Jeep to the Christian school in Tempe. Well, there was a family friend um, of my parents. Their daughter was, I think, my age or a year younger, would also ride with us. The family friend would drop off their daughter and um, then the family friend would go, the parent would go to work and mom would take me and this girl to this Christian school. Well, the one girl would get in this Jeep. Sometimes she'd go out there ahead of time before it's time to leave for school. She'd go up and get in the Jeep. And I think mom had said, you, did, you, you don't touch anything in that Jeep. It was a stick shift, you know. Um, that means if you click it out of gear, it can roll down and whatever. Well, one day, I'm, uh, in, I'm still in the living room. Mom's in the living room. This girl went out and got in the Jeep. We look out the uh, window of our living room where you can see the driveway and the street, and this Jeep is in the middle of the street. And this girl is going, Wah! She's screaming. She's sitting in the Jeep going, Wah! When it happened, because we could see the evidence, she got in there and she started messing with the shifter, thinking she's cute. <laughs> Knocks it out of gear. It rolls backwards down mom and dad's steep driveway, across the road, up on the sidewalk across the street, up into the neighbor's yard, rolls back down from the yard, back into the middle of the street, and just sat there. I'm glad it didn't hit anything. We could tell it went that far because we could see tire marks in the neighbor's yard. It went, and she was crying, you know. That thing was not qualified to go anywhere because it wasn't under the proper control, right? Uh, you know, my, my, my boys are trying to, you know, hey, can I take dad? Just, dad, just let me drive. Just let me drive, you know. And I'll be like, no, you're not, you're not, you're not qualified to drive yet, you know. It's got to have license and pass the tests and everything. And so we're a vehicle, and I'm not qualified to really proceed forward and in my Christian life until I'm under the proper control. The control is God's Holy Spirit who lives in you if you're a Christian. Lord, take control of me today. You're the driver. Fill me. And now I'm qualified to engage in whatever relationship issue I have in front of me. It pre-qualifies you. Let, let, we're just taking our time here today. Acts chapter 6, just read this with me and hold your place in, in Ephesians. When they wanted to pick out the first deacons, and I believe that Acts 6 is describing the first deacons. Um, deacons mean servants. And let's just read it and I'll try to summarize it. But we're going to read the account of when the early church first picked out deacons and why. And I want you to notice something. Acts chapter 6, 1 through... Uh, let's just read 1 through 4. Okay, Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called, that is the apostles, they called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore look ye out, among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. 
but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Let's just read verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. What happened here? The church, the early church, is a big church. They had a lot of widows. Some widows are being neglected. And the apostles are hearing the complaints. The 12 apostles, it's a big church. It's going to get split up here soon. It's going to start growing all over the world. The apostles are like, man, we, we do need to take care of these widows. They need some help. But we, we, we can't. It's kind of like, we'd love to do it, but we can't leave what we've been called to specifically in being the apostles and leading this early church and go serve tables. So he tells the church, they tell the church, look, church, pick out some guys to take care of this need. And they didn't say, you know, pick out the guy who is the smartest, who the wealthiest, some well, you know, they didn't do that. They said, look for men who, what is the qualification? Verse 3, men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What what was one of the qualifications of a deacon in the early church to take care of what? Widows. I'm not despising widows, but I'm just saying, they're just saying, it's not like they're going to go and they're going to be, they're, they're going to they're, they're have to do some kind of engineering uh, plan for the church or some kind of deep theological things to figure out. It's just, we're going to take care of widows. They have needs. And what do they want? They want spiritual men to take care of these dear widows. Maybe they need help with some basic things in their house. They didn't have light bulbs, but maybe they needed help changing light bulbs or fixing the lawnmower or in their case, changing a chariot wheel. They still wanted a man who was full of the Holy Spirit to do that. That's controlled, not by himself, but by God's Spirit. It pre-qualifies us. This is a command that pre-qualifies us. Now, please, please be patient with me. I want to ask a few questions. Is this something that you even think about, that you even ask God for? Do you even believe this so far? You don't have to answer me out loud. Do you even believe this stuff? Okay. Command, the last thing is characteristics. And this is where we see some three more verses here. Okay, how do I know if this is me? How do I know? He says, be, be filled with the Spirit. How do I know I have that? Be not drunk with wine. Pastor, what do I do? Okay, I'm not drunk with wine. Oh, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. How do I know? How do I know I'm filled with the Spirit? Some people think, brother, you speak in tongues, man. You speak in tongues. You do Yamaha, Shamakama, Kawasaki, Suzuki. Something like that. People have some kind of gibberish tongues out there, certain religious movements. They think, well, that's evidence. He's filled with the Spirit. That's not evidence. That's not evidence. Jesus was said to have been filled with the Spirit, but he never spoke in tongues. Okay, uh, maybe, Pastor, I know what it is. You just all of a sudden manifest this dynamic personality. Just this charismatic personality. And like, yes, that's, I must be filled with the Spirit because I'm, my face is glowing and I got everybody's attention. And when I say something, people are mesmerized. I must be filled with the Spirit. You know, that's what some people think. That's not. That's all stage life. That's all staging. And that's just flesh. That doesn't mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It might it mean you may have a dynamic personality, you may not. Having some euphoric experience does not mean you're filled with God's Holy Spirit. 
being some, even for a pastor, being some loud, energetic preacher does not mean he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean he's filled with the Holy Spirit. What is it? Well, let's let the Bible define it. There could be several descriptions. There's more in other places of Scripture, but here's three. The song, the gratitude, and the pliability are evidence. Now, Brother Chris Miller touched on this when we had him last month. A song, there's something about singing that gives evidence of it. Look what it says in verse 19. Be not filled, drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I, so if I am expressing melodic expressions, songs, not just any kind of songs, he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns. These are spiritual music, music that's reflecting scriptural truths, truths about God and not about self. A lot of secular music, I'm not saying everything that's secular in music is bad, you just got to, there's a ton of it is, but most of it's about the person singing about me, especially rap music. The rappers sing about themselves. But a spirit-filled person sings about spiritual things, the Lord, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. If I am, if I have, it's evident that I'm spirit-filled if I have some level of musical expression that's spiritual, that glorifies God, not man, and that's from the heart. Look what it says. It doesn't mean that you have to nail the note every time. Making melody, look what it says, in your heart to the Lord. It's really my heart has a song. If, if I closed, even if I closed my mouth and I couldn't express something through my vocal cords and you're able to plug something into the tune of my heart, you would hear a melody because it's there in my heart. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit living and, and filling somebody. That's what your Bible says. And so if you feel like, man, there's a, I just want to sing. I just can't always sing good. That's okay. It's still a good sign that you have the Holy Spirit filling you. You may not have the right notes down but you have the Holy Spirit filling it. That's what's important. Versus being filled with carnal music, being filled with anger, being filled with something else. Oh, I want to be filled with a melodic song that's spiritual. Here's another evidence of it. More evidence is gratitude. What does it say? Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Gratitude is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I think it's also when I submit to being a grateful person, I'm submitting to letting God fill me. It's so easy to be ungrateful. You've heard me say this, it's easy to be critical. There comes a time to point out faults and correct them, but it's very easy to just be ungrateful all the time. It's very easy to be constant uh, complaining. But this says, do constant compliments. Look what it says. Giving thanks always. Always. Well, that's constant. For all things. Wow, that's amazing. All the time. For all kinds of things. A person that's always grateful. A Christian that's always grateful. And always finds something to just say, well, praise the Lord, such and such anyhow. You know, not in a fake, phony way, but a person that's genuinely, sincerely grateful as a Christian is a person who is very likely it's that way because he's a spirit-filled person and not a self-filled person. 
If I'm filled with self, I'm hardly grateful. Shows you how much self satisfies, right? But when I'm filled with God's Spirit, I learn to be grateful. And then, so there's, it's evident in song, it's evident in gratitude, it's evident in pliability. I'm using a synonym here. Pliability, the word is submission, submitting. Look what it says in verse 21. Before it tells the wives to submit, it tells all Christians who want to be a Spirit-filled Christian to be a submitted person. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Have you ever seen these bumper stickers that say, doesn't get along well with others? How many of you ever seen a bumper? I think it's bumper sticker. Anybody? How many have a, anybody, they have t-shirts too? Doesn't work well with others. Have you ever seen that? You know, does anybody have one of those? Mm, okay. Doesn't work well with others. That is the opposite if that statement is true about a person, let, I'm just being honest. If that statement is true about that person, that is the opposite of what this is saying. This is saying is, hey, I can work well with others. I can work well. I'm submitting. That's what the idea of submitting yourselves one to another makes. If you're working on a project, you're not so stiff and I'm going to have it this way and i got to use this tool. and just re- Man, some people just need to just soften up and be a little pliable and be a little more flexible. I see so many Christians are so stiff and stubborn in my way or the highway and they have to try to tag a Bible verse on it and they're just not very submissive to other Christians. It's saying, hey man, be flexible, get along well with others. A, um, um, a Christian who's learned to adapt and get along well with others, that's a sign that that person is filled with the Holy Spirit or he's about to be. This is the Bible here today. Do you believe this? My boys, we, we, once or twice a year, we try to get a bounce house here at the church and have a little fun with it. And I can usually order something online, order it on my phone. And when I order it for the church, my boys are like, Dad, what one did you get? What one did you get? And they want to look at my phone. They want to look at it. I'm like, I don't see it. Well, let me see the receipt because it'll show a picture of it. No, no, I'm not going to let you see it. I want you to see it when it comes, you know. You know, they want to look. They want to get a preview and everything. What does it look like? What does it look like? It's usually the last year's one. Don't you remember that? That's usually what it is. The castle thing and the little slide on the side, whatever. But, um, but usually I'm like, no, wait, wait, just, you'll see. And so they'll come here and they, they want to be here. My kids, are, they want to be here when they get, what time's the guy delivering it? Church services at seven, he's delivering it at one today. Yeah, so that means we get to do perks of being the PK. Get a bounce early, you know. <laughs> and so the, I'll let them come maybe at three, you know. But, um, but, but, if they, but if they do come when it's set up, you know, the guy will roll it out and everything rolls it out. And they get it flattened out and stake it down. Maybe they stake it down afterwards. But then they plug in the blower thing and they, they, they plug in the blower to the power and it starts to... And it blows up and then, and then it's especially Grant's like, ah, that's what it looks like. Can I get in, Dad? Yeah, go for it. You know. And so, you know, we don't know what it looks like until it's filled. Now, listen, this is, it's like, oh, that's what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. He's a grateful person. That's not that complex. It's a person who's, who learns to just sing from the heart things about God. That's not that complex. That's what it looks like. It's a person who gets along well with others. He's a Christian. He's genuinely saved, but he you know, gets along with, ah, that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like anything complicated. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, we could do a whole other message about him doing this. After his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him. 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God until the day, of course, is to, unto the cross, unto death. And the Lord Jesus Christ did all these things for us. He submitted Himself to the plan of God the Father, went about Jerusalem, all of Judea and Israel, three years, collected His disciples, healed, did good, submitted Himself to, the, to this cross, to this death, not for His sins but for ours. He submitted Himself to this cross because we are the ones that are the antithesis of this thing. We're the ones of me, God, my things and my complaints and my way and my song and my everything. You know what? We've broken God's law. We've offended God in so many ways. I'm saying as natural human beings, we've all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. None of us. Well, Jesus knew that we all blew it. So that's why he went to this cross and died in the place of all the criminals, the pathetic criminals. That's us, humanity was buried and rose from the dead to prove that he can be trusted to be forgiven of all sins. Jesus went to this cross because we failed on this stuff. Well, when you put your faith in him, put your faith personally, trust him, call on him with a sincere heart. Jesus Christ, I see what you did for me. Be my savior, save my soul. He hears you and he'll answer you. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the scripture says, shall be saved at that moment. And when you are saved at that moment, that's when he introduces his Holy Spirit in your in your in your mortal body. And that's when you learn to walk with Him and be filled and controlled by Him. That's really what we need. But I want to close with this thought that I learned. And I appreciate your patience. We're wrapping this up. This is a very... I told you I'm fascinated with this disaster of the Hindenburg. Fascinated. <laughs> Maybe it's weird, Pastor. But I started doing some research. I thought, this is interesting. They said it didn't have to, they didn't have to use hydrogen. It's fascinating. So I, I digged and I did a little research and I even found a guy, there's a guy named, uh, I forgot his name, Don, Dan Grossman. He wrote a book about the Hindenburg. He did a lot of research. And he's also an aviation historian. And he did some things and he reported kind of the whole background of the Nazis and the Germans and doing this and the way it happened and the disaster and his commentary on it and his research. And it, basically what it boils down to is that Hindenburg did not have to explode, it could have had another gas, could have had another thing fill it. it. This is what I found. It would have been difficult to have this other gas. It would have been expensive to have this other gas fill the Hindenburg, and it would have been humbling for the Germans to have this other gas fill the Hindenburg. But they could have had helium fill it, which is what I think is used more often. Now, they could have had, now at the time, context, here's Germany and Europe, to the east of them is Soviet Union, across the pond is us, Soviets and us at that time were the ones who really had the hold on the world's helium. They were not going to the Soviets, there was some kind of banning there. They said there was a restriction with us and them, but the researchers said they actually could have got helium. The Germans, we weren't in war yet, they could have got helium from the United States. I don't know where we were getting it from maybe in our own minds or whatever, but they could have got it from the United States. This researcher says this, quote, Don, Dan Grossman, it is possible that the United States would have sold the helium to the Germans, but they never asked for it. They never asked for it. They knew, I'm sure they knew there was a volatility to what they were doing. And that makes me think of me. See, 
I could have what God wants me to have. I could safely proceed in my, fam- my Christian life, in my marriage, in my relationship. You ladies can safely proceed as a wife, as a, a spouse. As every- we can safely proceed if we just, all right, God. Fill me with your spirit. All that that means, and I don't know what all of it means, but I got a few things down today. And um, I'm open to you. Everything in my life's open. You can safely proceed forward if you just ask God to fill you with his very spirit that's in you. We need to, but like the Germans didn't do, we need to do humble ourselves and ask. That's what we need to do today. Do you believe that? This is the Bible. You believe this stuff? If you do, you'll do something with it.